0: Hello and welcome to the Reorient podcast, the show about international issues and international people with an Asian twist. My name is Jesse Friedlander. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Reorient podcast. This is your host, Jesse Friedlander. Today is the 11th of May 2022. I'm very pleased to be joined by uh, David Goldman, who is the deputy editor of the Asia Times, and he's the former head of fixed income research for Bank of America. He's also done a lot of other things and published uh, a number of books and a lot of articles. Uh, Too long to go through at this moment, but we'll be um, speaking speaking to his wealth of experience uh, over the next uh, hour or so. So, uh, David, uh, thank you very much for joining me on the Reorient podcast.
1: No, Jesse, thank you for inviting me
0: so uh, i thought the um a good place to start david is um probably the the one of the biggest uh trends or impact uh, factors i think impacting the globe right now is china china's rise and china's relationship with the rest of the world for mostly with the united states you've been covering china uh researching china for for many decades and you have a, a familiarity with china based on obviously having worked there working for even for chinese firms so we'd love to hear your thoughts about uh sort of the current state of of china's rise because obviously it's in the news a lot so um why don't you maybe just maybe i think a place to start is um eh, how would you say china ha- is has changed um from before the pandemic the outbreak of the pandemic which you know we understand uh, started in wuhan um, and now has impacted the old world so what's your view on china uh, today versus pre-pandemic
1: well the pandemic coincided with the critical turning point in China's history. Uh, China could do one thing at once. Uh, It's a country which works on one big idea. Uh, Deng Xiaoping had one big idea, which he executed with a great deal of success, and that was to turn subsistence farmers into factory workers. So China moved 600 million people from countryside to city biggest migration in human history Uh, it became 30% of world industrial production more than 15% of world trade Uh, over that period it more or less increased per capita income tenfold an extraordinary achievement Um, but it also reached its limits Uh, first of all There aren't enough people left on the farm to move to the cities to make a a big difference. Urbanization is largely complete. Uh, There's still about 62-38 ratio, but there just aren't enough farmers left to make a difference. Secondly, uh, China faces uh, a demographic dearth as opposed to plenty. Its labor force is now stagnant. It will shrink over the century, even if the birth rate increases somewhat from present levels. So China, if it tried to continue in the same direction, would be stuck in the so-called middle income trap, where you get to a certain level, purchasing power parity terms, $15,000, $16,000 per capita GDP, uh, and you can't, really get above that typical development uh, company, uh, developing country trap. That's what China's trying to avoid. They're trying to do yet another great thing. And that great thing is to lead the so-called fourth industrial revolution. During the 1980s, in the first phases of the Deng Xiaoping reforms, China's big industrialization, something like 3% of Chinese had tertiary education. In fact, uh, Mao Zedong had burnt the uh, university system down to the waterline with the Cultural Revolution. China's university system was in shambles. So it was a population of semi-skilled workers. Now something like 30% of people under 30 have some kind of, uh, sorry, 20 to 30 year old Chinese have some kind of tertiary education. China's graduating six times as many STEM graduates as the United States. And the Chinese believe that out of that pool of human capital, they can turn China into a high-tech superpower using uh, Fourth Industrial Revolution technologies, which are essentially related to artificial intelligence, to yet again transform the Chinese economy, and this time make it not only a peer of the United States, but the dominant economy in the world. Uh, Whether they will succeed or not, uh, we'll see. Uh, Nobody 40 years ago, when Deng Xiaoping started out, could have imagined the degree of success that China had. So I'm very reluctant to underrate its chances of success, uh, although in certain ways this is considerably more difficult. It's one thing to herd people into state-owned enterprises that are producing lots of iron and steel and another to get creative engineers to come up with innovations in microelectronics. Uh, But that's what they're attempting to do. Uh, We see some signs of success in that. Uh, There are a number of industries where China really is leading. For example, something as simple as logistics. Uh, Famously, you've got 80 or 100 container ships lined up uh, waiting for weeks outside the uh, port of Long Beach in Los Angeles, trying to unload supply chain stalls on a grand scale in the United States that contributes to our inflation and all kinds of other bad things. Uh, the World Bank has a ranking of efficiency of ports, and China's ports are the big ones. are in the top ten. Um, uh, I think Long Beach is like number 300 near the bottom of the list. And this involves an application of artificial intelligence and 5G broadband. So you have cranes and autonomous vehicles that communicate with each other, with each other uh, at the port. They pick, uh, uh, automatically pick containers out of freighters that come, container ships that line up outside the port, Um they put them into an autonomous vehicle. the autonomous vehicle reads the information on the container and sends it to the right warehouse. And very soon they'll have robots which unpack it and distribute the products to the right um, uh, to the right recipients. So the automation of logistics, transport warehousing, and so forth, Which involves the so-called Internet of Things, where you know where you have a barcode or even a computer chip, which tells you where everything is at every time. This is science fiction stuff. Uh, You already have a very high degree of robotics in Chinese factories, not as high as South Korea, Japan, but uh, impressive. So you have robots communicating with autonomous vehicles, communicating with uh, uh, artificial intelligence-guided cranes, communicating with uh retail uh outlets which will package things into uh conveyances automatic vehicles for delivery it it's really a transformative economic plan the chinese have in mind um it's early days yet but i know some progress is being made it's very hard to evaluate it at the at the macro level so that's a long-winded way of saying Huge things are up in China, and a great deal of what happens in our world will depend on how and to what extent they succeed.
0: So uh, one thing I mean, that you described um, just now, David, is you know China has made incredible advances in, in so many areas, but including uh, this fourth um, industrial revolution with, with 5G, uh, artificial intelligence, big data, etc., and really implementing it. Um, and anyone who's been to China uh, or followed China knows how um, how, in terms of uh, e payments, e commerce, uh, fintech, um, that China has really uh, become, you know, one if not the most advanced country in popularizing. Uh, digital technologies with population, so it's evident that China has made huge progress in there, and it's quite interesting, uh, as you mentioned, that you know for China this is almost uh, still early days, um, and that really speaks that that China has an incredible amount of ambition and uh, thinks in a very grandiose fashion. And it almost harkens back to, I guess, to the older days the United States with Manifest Destiny and the sense of, of vision and aspiration. And that was the idea about the American dream, which was maybe on a personal level. But the United States uh, collectively thought really big. Uh, it seems that China has taken that mantle. And I'm just curious, when you looked at China, um, where does that come from? Because, you know, in some of your writings, you know, we, we know that China, uh, you know, has thousands of years of, of dynastic rule um, and and there's a cycle to it. But this somehow is different. We're seeing, you know, obviously a very modernized China, but one with a lot of um, it seems that there's certain things it wants to achieve uh, for its citizens and maybe prove to the rest of the world. I'm curious, where do you think that that spark, that energy and that determination comes from?
1: Well, if you ask Chinese, they'll say we're, this is simply a return to normal because, for most of its history, China was the most powerful, most populous, and richest country in the world. It was still forty percent of world industrial production uh, at the turn of the nineteenth century, just as the industrial revolution was getting uh, was getting going. And the Chinese will say, "Gee, you know, this little period around 19, from around eighteen hundred to uh, you know." Uh, 2100. That's just an anomaly. We're going back to normal. But there is a generation of Chinese who have looked at the West, know the West well. Many of them have doctorates from Western universities. Uh, They've worked in Western institutions. They've taken our measure and think that they can do better than we can. Uh, I'll give you an example. There was a book published in China last year called China and the Fourth Industrial Revolution by Justin Lin, Yifu Lin, who was previously the chief uh, economist at the World Bank. He also worked for some of the major league investment banks in the West. And his book, which we excerpted excerpted in Asia Times, says China's in the same position with respect to the U.S., apropos of your point, Jesse, that the United States was in with respect to Britain at the turn of the 20th century. Britain still had a 40 percent higher GDP per capita, uh, it was still a richer country. It was still the source of all the technologies. But America had the ambition and the drive and overtook Britain very rapidly as an industrial power. Uh, back in the 19th century, we stole our technology. We didn't invent it. Thomas Edison didn't invent the light bulb. He stole the idea from a British physicist named Joseph Swan. Uh, Edison contributed uh, the discovery of materials which made a light bulb last longer, Uh, but in fact he had to pay out a massive settlement to Dr. Swan, who was the origin of this. Andrew Carnegie, who made more steel than anyone had made before, uh, really created modern mass production of steel making, didn't invent the jet the Bessemer process. That was an Englishman, Joseph Bessemer. But the United States took these technologies and found ways to uh, expand them in scale in a way that the British couldn't imagine. And whereas ambitious young Englishmen went off to serve in the empire to get rich on the tea and opium trade, ambitious Americans started factories, became smokestack barons, also Germany. So I, I see that kind of ambition, that American-style ambition from the gilded age, from the robber baron age, uh, reflected in this generation of Chinese. Uh, and it will take all of our ingenuity and a lot of sweat, and I hope not blood, to keep up with them or stay a step ahead of them, if indeed we can. Yeah,
0: and um, I, I think your your last... Um sentence is poignant, uh, you know, using the U.S. and, and, um, uh, Great Britain analogy from the post-World War II era is, um, you know, it has a lot of relevance, uh, you know, as you pointed out, but there's also one, uh, big, very important difference was the United States and Great Britain were allies in World War II and afterwards continued to be. Um, That's clearly not the situation between the United States and China now. So you have a rising power that, um, you know, at best is um, sort of, as I think to use the phrase going by uh, President George W. Bush as a strategic competitor, uh, at worst, you know, something different. And so the question is, you know, there's this idea about the Thucydides trap, um, with, where you have the, um, the legacy, um, power and then the rising power and that somehow there's an inevitable conflict. Do do you give any credence to that argument and and do you see any way, um, uh, is there uh, the willpower um, to to actually um, have China achieve its ambitions without As we could say, disadvantaging the United States and the the framework that has existed since World War II that um, that seems to be um, valued by much of the globe, but particularly the the Western, you know powers that um, uh, that formed it. And also, to be fair, China benefited greatly and other countries, too, that may have, not have been allied from sort of some sort of a, a, a global order, so to speak.
1: Graham Allison's Thucydides Trap book uh, makes a very valid point. If you take, for example, uh, Germany in uh, the years leading up to World War I as a prospective imperial competitor. With Britain and Britain's determination to stop Germany's rise as a cause of World War One, yes, that's a big risk. Uh, Allison wrote the book because he thought the risk could be mitigated and uh, and hopefully avoided. Uh, and in that respect, I agree with him. Uh, there are some extremely peculiar features of this rivalry between the United States and China. Germany and Britain did plenty of trade between World War I, but the kind of symbiosis that that joins the Chinese and American economies, which Neil Ferguson some years ago called Chimerica, is something we've never seen before among strategic rivals. Uh, In some ways, it's surreal. When Donald Trump denounced China for having cheated us in international trade and imposed tariffs as a supposed remedy, In August 19, we were importing just over $400 billion a year of Chinese products. It's now more like $700 billion a year. We've had an explosion of dependence on China because when the United States government, in response to the COVID epidemic, added, what, $6 trillion of demand to the U.S. economy, there was no American outlet for it. We could not produce the supply. The supply came from overseas largely, most prominently from China. At the same time, the United States has a critical role for the Chinese economy. China has an aging population. Aging populations want to save. They typically save by exporting and saving the proceeds. Uh, Different demographics and differential savings rates among countries are typically expressed by current account balances. Aging countries have surpluses because they're saving. Young countries have deficits because they're borrowing. Now, the United States is not a young country. We're aging very fast, too. We're somewhat younger than China. Nonetheless, we are the sink for most of the world's savings. Uh, And without the United States absorbing most of the world's savings, uh, China would have difficulty making its economy work. Because the Chinese want to save more than they want to consume. Theoretically, the Chinese could find other outlets for savings. The Belt and Road Initiative you've heard so much about is an attempt to find a productive outlet for Chinese savings in all kinds of developing countries. It's had a very mixed record because many of the countries in which they're investing, for example, Pakistan, have terrible governance, uh, and a lot of things haven't worked out. The country that would be an economic natural as a recipient of Chinese investment is India, but you have a long-standing political fight, military fight between China and India. So China is stuck exporting more and more to the United States.. US is massively dependent on Chinese imports, and China needs the United States as an outlet for saving. So if there were a serious disruption of economic relations, Uh, it would have catastrophic effects on both economies. There would be a severe recession and extreme inflation in the United States. And that, I think, gives pause to any U.S. government which considers taking really aggressive measures to suppress uh, Chinese imports. Uh, We can't do without them. We don't have the capacity. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this portion of the podcast. To access the entire podcast and more high-quality analysis on Asia,
0: please visit our website, reorientpodcast.com. That's one word, all lower caps, reorientpodcast.com.